0: Shavua tov, everyone. We continue our studies in Orot Milchama, the Lights of War, written by Rav Cook during World War Two. World War One. Sorry. I'm We're tired. listening. We're listening. Okay, just to Fantastic. quickly review what Chapter Five told us last week, what was called the profane culture, and explained why, from all the enlightenment, war came out of that so while professing to be enlightened civilization modern society is a profane culture cut off from the torah and the world of god rather than refining and uplifting man's character western civilization leaves man in a primitive moral state the world wars of this century underscore the failure of modern culture in lifting man out of his moral quagmire instead of repressing character traits judaism refines and perfects man's character by allowing each characteristic its proper balanced expression. In separating mankind from the true path of to God, Christianity gave birth to the secular cultures rampant in the world. The realization that Israel is the moral light in the world causes the nations to hate the Jewish people and seek their destruction. Then at the last 10 minutes or so of the class, we got into chapter six, if you recall, and chapter six was dealing with Israel and the nations and we said as nations develops they develop in a natural way and wars cause them to rapidly develop. That was the first point we mentioned because nations have to know what they're fighting about they have to develop technology all kinds of things have to develop quicker because of wars and we also ended off by saying that the Jewish people are the mirror of the world and we had a nice talk about that. And we said, What is Jewish identity then? And we said, Really, we are a little bit of everything in the world because Hashem chose us from all the people that from all a little bit of everybody he put into us. So, but then we develop our own uh, identity through being all part of the whole world. In other words, we really are everything that's in the world. And once we reflect that, So that's the idea of uh, our unique Jewish qualities, which is the best that everything has from the world, so to speak. And of course, we also, and that really is reflecting of Hashem, who's the source of all that. So that's where we ended things off. And we're still uh, in the commentary of Rav Shurki. Okay. And we're right over here. And he says an interesting point. He says, he says, it's customary to answer the question, "Who is in exile?" That the people of Israel are in exile, with the peoples who live in their places. What he mm. means to say, if you ask anybody, who is in Gauls? So say we're in Gauls. The nations are in their places, and we're in Gauls. Mm. So Reb Shirky has an interesting twist on this, but the truth is different. Mm. Since the fall of the Tower of Babels. The nations are the ones in exile. That is, since the original human identity was shattered into pieces, humanity is in exile. That's a very good way of looking at things. You remember when they did the the Tower of Babel, there was an inherent evil that existed there. And there was a certain degree of unity they had, but they corrupted it. Demeshem shattered it, and they got all these different countries over there. And they all spoke Hebrew originally. Well, they all spoke Hebrew originally, and now that they're trying to find their identities, they don't really have a, 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 a home, so to speak, and they're sent to different places. Aha, uh-huh. so now when that happens, so what's the job of the Jewish people? Only then does the people of Israel go down to nations to gather those fragments back. Okay, and this we call these the ni the scattered holy sparks that are throughout the world. And all the nations have a little bit of that holy spark, but they don't make use of it. And this is why the state of Israel is the only country in the world where there are no Jews per se (laughs) for a long time. There are Jews in England, Poland, Iraq, right? That's right, but then in Israel, there are Englishmen, Poles, Iraqis, etc. <laughs> in other words, what he's That's saying right. is we all had to go to the world to pick up the sparks. There was a long period where there were no Jews in the land. Right? So now, Jews who come back, there's no such thing, there was no such thing as a sabra 150 years ago. So who are the Jews? They came from other places. See what's happening now. So when the non-Jewish sparks are collected they brought back the Jewish people. Now they're brought back to Eretz Yisrael. That is, there are representatives, all identities in Israel. The peoples sitting in their places. That's and, exactly the enemy's claim that we weren't in the land. That's right. Well, who cares like, about their
1: claims? No, I appreciate that. And this is the this reason. Because we were busy collecting sparks. Yes.
0: And this is the reason for the existence of sectarian <laughs> tension in Israel. For example, when there's a tension between a Polish Jew and an Iraqi Jew, Mm. it's a tension between two Gentiles fighting through the two Jews. (laughs) That is, this tension is the meeting between all the identities of all of humanity. So coincidence that people of Israel group all the identities. This is characterized us since our formation as a people. So what's really interesting is you're really getting a cosmopolitan synopsis of all of civilization now this is very important because when we talk about Mashiach and the redemption the whole world is meant to be redeemed Okay, so there's some value in everything that's in the world and part of uh, Mashiach besides the Jewish people obviously returning to Eretz Yisrael but all of mankind in, in the positive natures of mankind has to somehow make it to Eretz Yisrael as well our get fixed is that is, what? It, is the Tower of babel of babel get corrected that they 70
1: nations will become one nation in the Messiah when he comes is that going to be like job number 2
0: well it's that? been a lot of work going on but yes ultimately it's got to be corrected by us it's got to be corrected by us Rabbi, yeah so many places on earth there's no Jews what there are also many places on earth there are no Jews um not even visitors, <laughs> not even Chabad? not even visit. Chabad? Where are there no Jews? <laughs> <laughs> where, 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 are there no Jews? Quebec? What? Quebec, Tibet. Tibet? Tibet. 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 Tibet, 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 I don't know if that's a country. Mongolia? Just, no, a, no, no. just a couple of mountains from bigger country. <laughs> <laughs> the there stories about Jews visiting <laughs> the, the Dalai Lama? Or? Listen, <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah, I mean, the truth is there are Jews. Who went to the Dali and the Dali, yes. the Dali, no, also the Dali so sent back them to back, to yeah, so back to Israel. So you've had visitors. You have some visitors. There were people who became Balchuvas from Tibet. So they took something from there too. Okay, now the question arises after all, is written in the Medrash that Israel preceded the world. It's implied from the rabbi's world words that the world preceded israel isn't this a contradiction so what's going on over here hashem had us in mind but then we're saying we have to go to the world answer is this is indeed contradictory historically the nation of israel appeared after the nations avram our father was the son of a gentile but in terms of the idea israel came before the world That is, before humanity was created, the human identity to which he wants to turn was already planned in the mind of a creator, and this identity is Israel. And this thought is expressed in a historical dialectical process. The first man is considered the nation of Israel. That's the first man. Then at the Tower of Babel, the human identity was shattered. And then the nation of Israel recreates this human identity by gathering in the land. Okay, and by the way, this is the reason why the ancestors are buried together in the Moros HaMachbel together with first man. In other words, Hashem had this original idea that Hashem wants to give pleasure to mankind, not just any mankind, but a group of people that will be called the Jewish people. That's the purpose he created the world. So we're first, now where did they come from? Well, Hashem started with autumn. Good start, Autumn messed up. So now what happens? Now you go to all of all the places, everything's going on and everything's going on, and now you finally get Avram, and now you you get these first Jews, but now we we end up being part of lots of other countries and this and that, and we access certain energies from certain countries until we become who we become. But it all started from humanity. Hashem wanted humanity to be Israel. Right, you got that? If Adam Eve would not have sinned, that would have been Yisrael. That's it. So you're starting with this first man. And Hashem wanted, "Uh, that should be Beshev. But the first man blew it all over the place. Everything's going all over the place. And we're trying to, to fix it. It's just not working, it's not working. Hashem has to destroy the whole world. He brings Noach back. So now we got all of humanity in Noach. And what happens, hopefully that's gonna correct itself. No, it doesn't quite work that way. We got the Tower of Babel and then mankind just shatters itself completely. Okay, so who's gonna put it all together? So we get Avram. Avram's the first one. And what's he gonna do? And that's really what happened. If you wanna look at it on a mystical level, mm-hmm. the reason why the Jews were in Egypt for 400 years was to draw the sparks of the four evil generations of the generation of Enosh, which was an idolatrous generation, the generation of the flood, the generation of Sodom, and the generation of the Tower of Babel. Those were four wicked, wicked generations of people who were supposed to be mankind. So the Jewish people went down to Egypt for was supposed to be four hundred years, a hundred years for each generation, and to make tikkunim. How that happens could you know could be with transmigration of souls, that those souls became Jews, and now those Jews make tikkun through how? Through the suffering. And that's how it would bring all of mankind comes back into the Jewish people. That was supposed to happen. And it would have happened except for the golden calf. So then that messed everything up again, causes more exile to happen. But again, we really, we have to always remember, all of mankind started from the first man. There's everything there in that first man. So whatever it is, that is ultimately supposed to be the Jewish people. So therefore, everything that comes in, there's something that has to be picked up along the lines. A lot of garbage there we're not interested in. But just like, I'll get you in a second, just like we found that uh, Rus had to come out of Moab because there was some good Jewish spark there that got lost over there and she'll have to bring it back. And what was that? It was the idea of Azuz, boldness, which is not a Jewish character. And for kings, you need to have boldness in kings. So you had to pick up a little Moabite boldness which, Which really should have him been him. that first man. So we're bringing that all in. Yes. yes I was just going to say
1: also to that
0: question like, with the other we see that the Abbot ended up going to, to the yeshiva of Shem and Ever once again to acquire.
1: Yes, the others ran to Shem and Ever. Sure, it's all was all. Was but
0: right. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Rabbi. Abraham, yes.
0: Abraham and Nimrod
1: were the two antithetical forces. Yes. At the time. But so. Nimrod was, calls the Tower of Babel. Was Abraham around at that time? And yes, Abraham was won? born in
0: 1948, Tower of Babel is 1996.
1: So why why did not, why is Abraham not trying to stop the, the time they, I mean, I know that Fairy Furnace happened, but was it How many 15? guys is Abraham? <clears throat> One guy.
0: How, who's on the other side?
1: Nimrod, an army.
0: Nimrod and the entire Imrud, rest Imrud. of the planet. Imrud.
1: So it was only- Every
0: single human being is on the other side. So what do you want Abraham to do? Okay. I'm, just,
1: I'm, I'm asking the question because it's, it's like it was a lost cause right right off the bat. And Abraham was... Well, uh, uh, they
0: only need one Jew. And that's why Hashem destroyed the Tower of Babel. Take it for that. Okay. Another thing, it's not just that you can prove almost anything from Judaism because it really includes everything. Okay, so really, everything comes from Christianity. Any any good idea, you All know, right. so to speak, Bad it ideas. came from Judaism. Okay, one more thing. The question arises: the people of Israel are so universal. <laughs> Why is it forbidden for them to marry Gentiles? Right, we're universal. Wait, and then they lose their identity. You know, well, answer: Because by assimilating with Israel, one loses oh, this okay. universal identity. For example, a Jew who assimilates in England, becomes more English. Than all the English. And thus he loses his universality, which is our uniqueness. We, we are these mirrors. We can stay mirrors if we mix mirrors with mirrors. If you mix a mirror with a blue, it's going to be blue. Right. So you lose that. Okay, now we go back to Rav Cook's words. Okay, as long as there is a nation in the world that has not really fulfilled itself properly. Let me fix this up. Okay, in other words, there's a nation that's not fully developed. <clears throat> With all its machinations. That brings a darkness into the Jewish people. In other words, if we're supposed to collect everything from all the nations of the world, so if there's a world that has not expressed itself, the Jewish people have this deficiency because there's nothing to extract. Oh, so then what is going to help things out? Says Rav Kook. Now when countries fight with each other, and now they got to work out some improvements, Then they're putting into place the correction of these nations because then they have to move forward because of these wars. Mm So now this power of perfecting itself now becomes part of the Jewish people. And that's why Rav Cook said in the beginning that wars are the beginning of Mashiach. Remember? So whenever there are wars in the world, Something changes in the people of Israel. Why? Because of the wars with the nations, they're putting changes into the world itself. And every nation begins to realize there has to be some improvements. Now, these nations are not making perfect improvements because they got lots of faults, but the Jews will pick up some of that as interesting. When it says that when Sarah, what's the English over here? Oh, see, it shouldn't be was absent. Oh, see, that's uh, okay. When Hashem remembered Sarah, what happened? When she got pregnant, what happened? Many barren women became pregnant with her, right? So it wasn't just her, right? It was something else. And when the people of the Jewish people crossed the Sea of Reeds, we say all the water in the world was broken, right? So therefore, we say what happens to the Jews is related to what happens with the rest of the humanity. So again when the establishment of um, the Jewish state was a year of universal liberation for the entire world. Because look what happened around 1948. The British Empire falls. Do you notice all of a sudden all their New Guinea and all these places. India. 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 When did India India become? 47. Okay, So you see how this all coming together. also, when the first temple was uh, destroyed, uh, there was a great change in the spiritual world. And uh, mythology fell from its position and philosophical religions took its place. So there's always a lot going on in the world uh, at the same time that's going on with the Jews. Okay, so therefore, when you're having these uh, uh, wars going on, that's just moving things ahead, okay. Uh, and she's waiting for the feet of the Mashiach waiting for Mashiach to come from all of that and uh, again Rav Cook is writing these lines during the First World War which is a reference to the Balfour Declaration and following that year of war the British uh, said that and now the Jewish people have a homeland so you see the fact that the wars brought out something better in humanity, so to speak, and that reflects that the Jewish people now are in a better position as well. Okay, that was a short chapter. Now we get into uh, the seventh chapter, which is called National Rebirth. Okay, and uh, this is now getting exciting because now Riff Cook is now taking it to, let's let's look at how the Jewish people look when he writes his words as opposed to how they looked before. How was it? In other words, what he's going to say in this chapter is that the Jewish people who were known as the wandering Jews, that is now shifting. And now they're not going to be the wandering Jews anymore. And the type of Jew you are when you're in Galvus is a type, certain mentality. And when you're a Jew that's going to live in Eretz Yisrael, <laughs> there's a different mentality. And Rav Cook, remember, he's writing this 90 years ago almost, he already is like a visionary of what he's seeing. And let's not make a mistake. He knows fully well the corruption of the secular Israelis. He is not <coughs> blind to it at all. But his, his greatness was instead of looking at the flaws that are obvious, there are going to be benefits that are coming out of this. And he is looking at the benefits that are coming. He, he, he admits there's flaws but those flawed, that those flawed people are lamice of bringing certain benefits to the Jewish people. Okay. Uh, okay. So now, just after saying in the previous chapter that Israel does not have its own identity, but it's a connection of national identities, he's going to seem to contradict what he just said. Because the first line of this chapter says... He says, Yisrael ha'atzmi. the Yisrael, Siva, Haatsmi. The congregation of Israel. Now, when we say Knesset, we don't mean the Knesset. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the English translation always thinks it's the Knesset. It's not the Knesset. Sometimes I correct it in wrote congregation of Israel. So, but what is it, it? It's mean there's a concept called Knesset Yisrael, the congregation of Israel. That means the Jewish people, the corpus of Jewish people from the beginning of time until Mashiach comes. It's the Jewish people. Okay? Now that's why I don't know, maybe that's the Knesset. Well, Knesset just means a gathering place, yeah, like yeah, a base like Knesset. Post. But not to make a mistake. So 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 really Knesset is all is a is a tremendous national spiritual potential. So when that potential is revealed, its own color is revealed, meaning the uniqueness of the Jewish people is revealed, okay? Now, although, wait a minute, he just said we're a mirror. Mm-hmm. So he seems to be, what is it? Are we the mirror or an identity? So the answer is very nice. When all the colors come together, then there is, so to speak, a new creation. That is, you take several talents and unite them in the same personality, something new is created that is not just the sum of the talents that existed. For example, of course, since World War One is a global war as a result of which many things in the structure of humanity change. It has a reverberation within the congregation of Israel and then something in us also changes and grows. Now, we are a mirror, but as a mirror, we have certain qualities that a mirror has. And what would be the right spiritual qualities to give us the quality of a mirror? is we are (laughs) rachmanim, bishonim, and Gongle chasadim. We are people who are merciful, we're shameful, people who are not arrogant, and we do kindness. That's part of the mirror's structure. Okay? Now that mirror, when it sees certain things, it will now reflect, let's even say better, it will reflect a better form that stands before the mirror. It's like, you know, when you take these... uh, Machine, you're able to take these Im, image changers, yeah. Right? Person, like for example, when you're a little bit overweight, if you take the picture at a certain angle from high to low, and you stretch the picture. <coughs> Why don't you stretch the picture? Oh, I lost 25 pounds. <laughs> Those mirrors at the Somebody wants to show park me, park you see, that you picture has been altered. Why I tell because that guy is so skinny, but I know he's not that skinny. <laughs> So, in other words, we're this kind of mirror that takes what's in front of it, but it mirrors back, but it mirrors back with what else we've already got there. So, it'll massage, or what's the word in photography? Touch it up? There's another word. What? Uh, There's a a word. It's a word, you know, you change it. Photoshop. Photoshop. A little bit of a photo, you know, you just improve it a little bit, right? So that's what we do. We improve it a little bit, as we will see. Okay.
1: So, are you, so, is he saying that at the end of the day, all the wars and all the world tra- tragedies in this world are software upgrades for the Jewish people?
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's for all of humanity, too. And really, following the first war, something great happened. We said the Balfour declaration, which eventually led to the establishment of the state. Mm-hmm. That is, the redemption of the people of Israel takes place against the background of a general change in reality. Now he's going to talk about all the good things that he sees, while the Haredim didn't see so many good things. But how about all the people who died in war? He talked about that in the first class. Right. Go back to the first, It's just hard now to keep It's all on tape. On, I don't know if you were, I think you missed it. No, I was here for the first, first class. class. I don't remember. It's several weeks ago, but... but it's, it's, all on, it's all on our podcast. I mean, back. He talked about people dying, and we explained the benefits that come to the people who die. Even to the people who die. Yeah. So that's... Uh, okay. that. That's okay. part of the, uh, the, yeah. the, the story of uh, existence, but we're talking about the national... Uh, existence right. and how so much gets improved. He says, <laughs> The strengths go and they develop. <laughs> it goes on and wisdom uh goes away, so to speak, or or you could really translate it, it returns. I'm wondering just want to look how they translate it in this book over here. One second. Give me a second. Uh there's a of wisdom, yeah, returns, rather, returns, that goes away. Wisdom returns. So he says, if you compare, let's just fix that. Returns. Uh, wisdom returns. Okay, so now he says, if you compare the people of Israel, the time of the Bible before the destruction with the people of Israel, after the Bible, after the Second Temple, you see it changed. What changed? At number one, it was a living, vibrant society. It turned into scattered communities whose main content is the study of Torah and prayers. As a big change happened. And the central personality of all Judaism became from the high priest to the local rabbis. In other words, from a nation with broad horizons regarding the rules of culture the nation became small communities. They're afraid to leave the base medrash. Whereas there's a major shift happened to the Jewish people. And he'll discuss this more. So, so he's saying, th- but things are beginning to return. And amongst this is Chachmah. And he's going to mention a lot of other things. And we're going to see, well, this is all bringing to the uh, Ge'ula, so a lot of powers that were lost are going to come back. So certain Chachmah comes back. I'm was going to list a whole bunch of them and we're going to look at each one separately he says kvura bravery comes back yosher honesty tahara purity the inner purity so let's take a look at each and every one of them so, so when he says come back these it's gone? returning it's returning now these were gone 100 years, years ago. ago first and
1: second time we're saying that, that no no now
0: now, now. But there were changes when the Jews went into exile, really things got very bad from a nationalistic perspective. That's not how people works. And you'll see what uh, negative things developed just out of necessity, as we shall see shortly. Okay, but uh, they're beginning to come back now. Now they may manifest itself in ways that we wouldn't be so particularly happy about, But remember, Rav Cook is seeing only the good, which eventually we will see good that comes from this. So for example, uh, Rav Shirky mentions, when we talk about gvura, gvura is bravery. So what does he say over here? So his sports returns to being a national characteristic. Now, of course, that might not be the best manifestation of it, but there are types of things that change. So in the commentary, writes, the very desire of the Jews to do sports is something renewed, right? Because in the diaspora, we're always the weak. For example, in all kinds of silly children's stories, the Jewish boy is pale and poor, and the Gentile is an athlete. Have you ever noticed the Jew always went by in the Golas as this small, weak guy. You know, and that is not a Messianic Jew. I mean, a Messianic in a good way. Okay. For example, we go back to when we had, we had Dovod HaMelech, Shol HaMelech. You had people who were strong. They were physical. They really were brave and courageous. When did you have that for about, you know, after Bar Kochva? A bunch of wimpish people. So, Rabbi, so, so to... now what's coming back? Now, of course, there's a negative way of looking at it. Yeah, we have a Maccabee team. All right, that doesn't really do much for Claudius Yisrael, but we have a brave people. Mm-hmm. And as you begin now, this was before. Now, Rav Cook didn't see what we saw now, but he, but he could see it's coming. Mm-hmm. So, when Rav Cook wrote it, you didn't have. I don't think you have any religious soldiers. But now you've got religious soldiers. This is really the vision that he wanted because that's what you want. There's what's wrong with a religious person fighting and being brave and courageous and killing enemies? That's a wonderful thing. Now, does not for everybody. Remember, the Kohanim Levim didn't fight. See so Yeshiva Baruchim don't have to fight. Nothing wrong with that. But you have to have some people who are gonna fight. And therefore, we now are back to this idea of Vura, as we'll see, and there were Jews who helped fight with the British in World War One to get rid of the Turks. So, uh, they're definitely, they're beginning to get it. Now, are they doing it all for the right reasons? No, but he says it's an evolutionary process here. We've got to get this idea, and, and once you have the secular Jews who are fighting, then over time, you have to figure a way to have Torah being learned and learning how to fight battles like you have in the Hester yeshivas and things like that. And that's an amazing Kiddush Hashem and that's something that has to be done. So that's, he's seeing this is what um, uh, uh, the, the the Messianic Jewish people have, have to be at this time. Also, Hayosher, honesty. Okay, very interesting. We lost our honesty in the exile and you may ask how. He says, beautiful, he says, beautiful. Reb Zalman of Voloshner, was Reb Chaim Voloshner's brother, says, the main curse of the exile is we become a nation of merchants. We had to, we couldn't, all, there was no other choice. If we weren't merchants, we would die. Yeah. Because it was impossible for an entire nation to engage in commerce without having thieves and swindlers in it, right? It's not that here's my land, I work the land hard, I get what I get. We had nothing. So how do you make a living with nothing? You gotta be pretty smart. You gotta be a little too clever sometimes. Mm-hmm. Remember, the that de- the non-Jewish world stacked the desks the deck yeah. against us. Yeah. Nowadays say, what's the problem? You go to university, get a job. Well, good, that didn't exist in exile. Well what's the problem? Just work on your farm. Jews couldn't own land. Yeah. Couldn't own land own anything. You had no rights. That's why we got the Shylock uh, thing. So now, so now how are you gonna make any money? So, somehow. So we explained in the history class last year. So the only jobs we had were the ones that aren't really productive vis-a-vis the work you mm-hmm. do. It's middleman, But rather yeah. it's you have to find a way to make money via people, yeah. right? Borrowing, lending, this and that. <laughs> and therefore it will lend itself to things that are not necessarily, I'll give you a classic example, okay? You have no way to make a living. So what are you supposed to do? Your family's starving, should you die? At least I was an honest Russian citizen. I died in arms. No. So what do you do? You smuggle. (laughs) Now, let me ask you, is there something inherently wrong with smuggling? Inherently, in other words, in front of God, is anything wrong with smuggling? What are you doing? You're taking tobacco from Turkey, smuggling it across the border, selling it to somebody in Russia, and making some money. What's the only thing that's illegal about it? No taxes. The Russian government said so. Yeah, but the Russian governments don't give you any freedom. What gives them the right to do that? So you understand, as a Jew to survive, you had to break... The law. This was not a moral law. It's not a law of thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not adulterate. This was the czar wants your money. He doesn't want to give you a way to live. As far as he's concerned, you could die. You have no place to go. So what do you? You have a misfit to live. So how are you going to live? You're going to live by smuggling. Well, don't you have to like die or lie or? Do certain things to smuggle. You cross the border Says, what do you got there? Oh, just some papers. So you understand what's happening. The Jews they have to learn how to live. It's not that they wanted to, but we have to become like that. It's not that every traitor is a cheater, but when a whole nation is made up of traitors, and there is an atmosphere of cheating and dishonesty. Appear, uh, well, appears and then it'll disappear, uh, honestly it disappears. So there was no choice, we had to live that way. And that's you know what we sometimes call lovingly, you know, the Hasidish way of getting things done. <laughs> you know, when, when when they tell you, you know, somebody dies, no, there's no way he can be buried. You know, we got all kinds of rules and let's say, you know, first of all, to be buried as soon as possible, right? So the, the, Hasidim don't take that for an answer. There's no such thing as the law when it comes to not allowing you to fulfill the Torah. Okay, that I'm, remember, they're not saying let's break the law and steal from people. But it's stupid government regulations. So, well, sorry, you can't do that. We can't. They don't care. They'll find, they'll pay off somebody, and they'll take the body, and they'll bury it. They'll do it without asking. They'll bury it, and you know, it's done. They don't They don't wait for permission. And where do they get that? They got that from all being in the Golis. If you want anything done, you go to a chos. When during the during the pandemic, if you wanted to get medicine that was against the law, right, ivermectin, you speak to a certain chassidic guy, you'll get it, and people lived. People lived. You know, you break the law. What do you? What do you call? You? They want you to die, so you have to find a way. So so that brings in dishonesty. What do you want? Right. By the way, one of the motivations of secular practical Zionism was to restore this honesty. What they felt, the kibbutz system, socialism, their idea was socialism vis-a-vis the czar was much better idea. The problem with socialism is it's still politics and people on the top take advantage of the others. But in theory, why were there kibbutzim? Why did Russia initially support Israel? Because Israel is a socialist country. Wow. It's a socialist democ- democracy. It's both, right? So the kibbutz was this social idea that what everybody owns the kibbutz and everybody has certain shares of this. You know, before you get to corruption. So at least that's an on, more honest way of government that they thought to do. Okay, that's Yosha. Vatohara apnimis holeches hauma venivnis. So we have this inner beauty that's developing. The nation is being built. It's preparing itself for redemption, which is going to be the redemptions of the world. And he talks very uh, poetically here. And it blossoms in the splendor of his glory. Okay, so now the question is, The rabbi is talking here about the wisdom, bravery, honesty, and inner purity that return to the congregation of Israel. What does the rabbi rely on when he says these things? He's just saying them. The answer is the rabbi simply looked at reality. Again, he's looking at secular reality. He knows that what's happening secularly is just the tip of the iceberg that's going to happen religiously. That's, That's what he saw. So, for example, the establishment of Hebrew University in Jerusalem. That's wisdom. Was there anything of a university in Jerusalem? He was very much behind it until he realized they fooled him about something. He said, you could have it if you're going to learn math and science and this things. But he said, no Bible criticism. He said, sure, you have our word, Rabbi. What happens, they open it up, they have Bible criticism. Oh, was he upset at them. He was really upset at them. See, that was the one thing with Rav Cook. he was such an honest guy, he couldn't believe people could be so corrupt, so <laughs> terrible. The Haredim had one advantage over Rav Cook. They knew how evil secular people could be. Rav Cook just with such a loving person, he said, you know, he couldn't believe how evil they could be. Haredim knew God's fine, how evil people can be so but there's positives and negatives on both ways but on the other hand what was going on? he also the establishing the yeshivas in Eretz Yisrael all right the Chevron yeshiva yeshiva sates there were there were really great yeshivas so he's seeing and, and now let's let's go forward now 90 years later what do you have you have 6,000 students in Brisk you got uh, I'm not in Briskin Mir. you got yeshivas all over the place. Tens of thousands of yeshiva. And, and you also have tens of thousands of university students. Okay. Not everything they're learning at university is bad. They're learning a lot about science. And a lot of new technology is coming out of Eretz Yisrael. Which is very important. Okay. So the bravery. So what's that? Aspiration for a healthy life a work ethic because they really were working hard it's the first time they're working on their own land do you understand what that means you don't have to be a a, a, a Shylock anymore like you don't have to figure ways to make money just work hard a good Calvin ethic and you'll produce things and that's what's going on over there honesty the demand for honesty in business development of the and social movement it's important to understand when, when Rav Cook wrote the book wrote, he looked at reality from the realistic perspective and it was like Ruach HaKodesh that was speaking through him. He understood there was a lot of corruption going on, but he said that's the external. That's the external part. But once that energy is coming in and you'll have more religious Jews coming in, they're going to tap into that energy. That's, that's what he's seeing. Once you have that breakthrough, that you're not in Golis anymore, you got a, a permanent place to live, you could take... Even the people who are, are initiating it do not have holy intentions, but they're creating a framework. And now when you get religious people coming in, they take advantage of that framework. Right? So you've got social services in the land of Israel. Huh. Great way to pay coal, guys. <laughs> right? Now, of course, if people... If if a guy is a drunk, uh, chiloni guy, happy to give him social welfare. Mm -hmm. If he's a smart, coal guy, oh, he can't get social welfare. (laughs) But but, but the current said, what are you talking about? The guy's not working. He's studying. He's studying. Why shouldn't he get paid? So it it makes sense. And who's (laughs) paying for it? The secular ones are paying for it. So why shouldn't he? Why are they doing anything different than somebody who's studying uh, research in a university? Those get funded by the government. Ah, but the Haredes don't. So uh, you can see where this is going over here. Among other things, we lost our aesthetic sense in exile. And now it's returning to us. In the period before the first war, they established an art school in Israel called Petzalo. Now that was again not necessarily the most religious. And there were those who argued against them and how could they be engaged in art and there's still a lot of work to be done in establishing the state, like draining swamps and everything. But Rav Cook wrote in a letter to the people of Itzalo, which (coughs) explains to them that they're right. If there is a sick girl who has been unconscious for a long time and one day she wakes up and asks for water, that's not a sign that her condition is necessarily good. But if she wakes up and asks for her doll, it means she's doing well. That was his marshal. Because the, the one in her situation asking for luxury is a sign that he's truly living. So you you understand? The That's the marshal. The parable, arts. the return of the aesthetic sense is actually a sign of a real national revival because there could be no real revival without a cultural revival. He doesn't mean, you know, cultural like Italian culture. But Judaism, we had a mishkan, we had a besamegash. It was beautiful. There is a place for beauty. If you're just struggling to live, there's no place for beauty, right? You wanna have a beautiful shul, right? How are you gonna get a beautiful shul if you don't have an aesthetic sense for beauty, right? And there's a lot that can be said for for people who who paint, express themselves. Not everybody can express themselves by a blot of Gemara. And what's wrong with poetry and things, good from poetry and things like this, that shows that we're becoming more uh, uh, sensitive to our to our spirit. Continues Rav Kook. Gale so here's all like the good things that are happening, even though there is certainly a lot of secular things, and it's certainly a great challenge, but you now have a place where Jews can come. And obviously, if you want Mashiach, mm-hmm. you have to have Eretz <laughs> Strong. Like, there's no way of having Mashiach without Eretz Yisrael. And that, which was unthinkable. Now, remember, the Vilna Golem did start that in the 1800s. The first people who went to Eretz Yisrael were raided. But uh, the problem was that they became uh, secular ones who came as well. And they just, you know, were outsmarted them or whatever you want to say. They were more successful with connections and things like that. But you have to have Eretz Yisrael. If you don't have Eretz Yisrael, you don't have any... And you can't just have a swamp land in Eretz Israel. Israel was, as remember, Mark Twain said, it's a desolate place. So now what happens? We take all the technology of the world, Now we bring it to Israel, and now you begin to develop it into the country it always was meant to be. So these are the great signs, and he's seeing this already in the in the early 1900s. It's beginning to happen. He says from the multitudes of waves of trouble that has passed over her, meaning the Knesset Israel over all the years of the goals. from all being spread and around. So now she brings back So now the Jewish people can bring it all back in, okay? There's all kinds of positive things that the Jews can bring this all back. Very interesting idea he expresses now, Rav Shirky, He brings uh, where to go. He brings the book of Yecheskel. What Yecheskel, when he admonishes the Jews during the first Temple. What does he said? And they will interfere with the Gentiles and learn their deeds. That's what they're gonna they're gonna intermingle with them and they're gonna learn their ways. That's what the prophet said. The Gomorrah says that this reprimand is twofold. As corrected in those who did not do, as broken in those you did. In other words, that is, you did not take from the good deeds of the Gentiles, and no more than you learned from them, only from their bad deeds. What was the prophet saying? You went with the Goyim, and as much as there was something good to learn from them, you didn't. So all you learned was from the bad, and that's why he (laughs) criticizes them. Okay. In other words, there were good things you could learn from Goyim. You didn't learn the good things. What did you learn? You learned the bad things, right? Why didn't you learn the good things? And what's implied in that rebuke? It's not a bad thing to learn good things. You mingled with them. Okay, couldn't you get something good? There's some good things they had there. Why don't you take the bad ones? Ah, so now we understand in the times of Riff cook. Yes, we're intermingling with the Goim, and there might still be bad things we're taking from the goyim, but we're taking good things from the goyim as well. Okay, okay, okay. So now he says, so by the way, the one who did this mainly was the secular society and not the religious society. This is one of the reasons for the existence of the secular society to accept from the outside. He says, so what do we get from the Chilonim? One thing. They brought everything from the outside into Israel. And, yes, they brought bad things, but they also brought good things. Who's going to build all the homes? Who's going to know the technology for all this? Yeah, okay, there's discotheques and all these terrible things. Okay, we're not going to deny that they've brought a lot of terrible things, but they have brought a lot of good things. Okay? But it's important to know that there is also an interest in closure and fear in order to maintain what exists. You want to be careful. Hence, there is harmony in God's plan. Ultra Orthodox who guard the embers and seculars who accept from the outside and today religious people who can combine all that. So what was going on in Rav Kook's time? There was a tension. The would say we don't want anything new. We don't want anything. New. The seculars say we want everything new. They're both wrong. Okay, so there's this fight going on. And the Haredim living in dilapidated homes and you know we don't just don't want any of that business okay but uh, at the end of the day we need to have nicer homes too so now we that's developed from that ultra Haredi that says, no, no, we can have cell phones now. and We can do certain things. It has to be a kosher cell phone and things like that. And, and you see that the haradim are building beautiful shuls and beautiful buildings and all this stuff. And they're getting involved in business and all these things. So you see that they are eventually cultivating this. Another famous example of a Jew who received good things out of Judaism is the Rambam, who's among other things, a mathematician, Dr. scientist, researcher, Astronomer. And what else? People were very much against the Rambam. (laughs) Remember, they burnt his works in France. Mm -hmm. Because, oh, he's too modern for us. (laughs) Right? (laughs) At the end of the day, Rambam stays. Nobody else did. Right? See, you got to not be afraid of this. Okay? So the question, why didn't the religious accept from the outside like the secular? (laughs) One is either the habits of being in the exile, because there was nothing you could get that was good, and number two, they're afraid, they get the bad things with the good things. And the truth is you need a little bit of both. If you had no karadium to put some brakes on, the whole place would have been completely secular. Alright? So that that so you see how Hashem kind of orchestrated in a way that everybody was upset of how things were going on. But truly, it's the only way anything would have happened. Imagine if so you only have karadium in the land of Israel. Well, that's what that's what you have. You're gonna have people starving. You know, but at least we're not uh, being influenced by the secularists. Well, that doesn't really work. But then the secularists would totally secularize the country. That doesn't work. So the, the, the clashing between them, ultimately, over uh, 70 years, 80, of painful coexistence, it's beginning to shift. And that's what's being so beautiful over here. Yeah? You're it works. I'm sorry, a little louder, please. Well, in a certain way, Jewish multiculturalism. Certain things, the bad things, don't work, right? But eventually, the bad things will go down. That, that's eventually. That's what has to happen, right? But you you can't say, oh, we respect things that are anti-Torah. You know, at the end of the day, there was a lot of things that were good, healthy things to do. Building is a healthy thing. Farming is a healthy thing. These are good things, a lot of good things that were so foreign to Jews, and there's no reason why we shouldn't do it. But the problem is there's other things that go with that. So let's give another example. When Rav Cook was around, barely nobody kept Shemitah. Mm-hmm. And they were trying their hardest. If we're Shemitah, what about Shabbos? We're keeping we're keeping Shemitah. Now, yeah. this last Shemitah, more than 50% mm-hmm. of the land keeps Shemitah, Unbelievable. okay? Do you understand? And it's with a lot of technology that makes it happen. So he said, now, and what, and you have, it's even secular people who have farms, they're gonna keep Shemitah. So that would never have happened from the Haredi world itself, per se. So he understood, you know, you'll influence them, you'll talk to them, you'll explain to them, and and eventually, he always felt that's the way to win through. He says, kinas am mitgaberes." When he means jealousy, he means more like zealotry. Suddenly, Jewish nationalism begins to grow. Self-awareness is increasing. For example, again, this could be the negative way, but it will bring the positive way. Suddenly, there's a delegation of the Zionist Congress to the League of Nations. Okay? This is a politician, Oshishkin. that's a street in Eretz Yisroh. Demanded Palestine from the nations. A secular, a secular guy says, we want Israel. Herzl demanded from the German Emperor, the Turkish Sultan, and the Pope, the return of all the plunder. Mm. So people in Israel are getting a sense of legitimacy for demand of land, a feeling that has not existed for thousands of years. Again, I don't know why he doesn't write the students of the Gra also, but wanted to live in the land, but they never had the chutzpah to say, we want to be recognized legally. So there's all kinds of shailahs, if you can even do that on Pi It's a big discussion. Secular guys don't care about aloha. They say, we want to blend. That's it. The question arises, the (laughs) rabbi talks about the growth of Jewish nationalism in this time. They were actually witnessing the weakness of nationalism in the nation. There is a little bit of weakness coming. Answer, true. There is a stage in redemption where a universal foundation also becomes clear, and therefore there's a crisis in nationalism. That is what is called in our sources the killing of the Mashiach Ben Yosef. Because Ben Yosef is national. It will never come to a point where he will supposedly die. And when he rises to the resurrection, he will rise together with Mashiach Ben David. The future of our nation will grow into a universal foundation. In other words, the country is having all kinds of challenges mm-hmm. as a country. But that's fine. It'll eventually work itself out, so to speak. But the fact we want to be a country and a people, even though a secular one, but at least it's a country and a people. We can work on the details later.
1: Yeah? Uh, wasn't it usually said that there's like one Mashiach, which is the son of David?
0: No, there's a Mashiach ben Yosef. Like. Very important. Uh, it's well known. There's two Mashiachs. One that dies and the one that uh, is afterwards. That's uh, that's very well uh by the way, it follows that as long as this element is not clear, the left will win. Okay, that's what he's saying. That is as long as the nationalists within us do not truly internally understand that our nationalism is for the sake of correcting the world and not for the sake of national fanaticism, then the left will be right on our behalf and win. In other words, they say we have to be an independent country. How's that that? It has something to do with religion, okay? So that's the issue over here. We have to understand that the only reason we can be a nationalistic is a Torah nation. That's where the challenge exists. And that's where the left can, some of them say, we'd rather leave the country. We'd rather have a place that's more to our liking. That's fine. We'll just have the right people who want the country to be at as it is. Right? So we have to understand what's this national? It's a Torah national. Not a nationalism like other countries. And she already... Ready? No, we have a land. We have a language. Now, of course, again, the secular way was the revival of the Hebrew language. Okay, now that was not good. Why? Because Ben Yehuda wanted to make it a modern Hebrew, not a biblical Hebrew. This was a big debate because that was another... Tool of the secularists, but you see, they had a lot of the ideas are correct, mm-hmm. but they just were using it in an incorrect way. But you have to have a distinct Jewish language. We had it for years. It was called Lashon Kodesh. Mm-hmm. Before the temple was destroyed, we spoke Lashon Kodesh. Every else spoke a different language. Now we're going to Galus. We're speaking a million other languages. Doesn't it make sense that when Mashiach comes, we're going to speak Lashon Kodesh? Nice, right, so what's happening? All the Jews are speaking Yiddish. Yiddish. That was the Jewish language. <coughs> it's good language. It's a very fine language. The trade language. But it's not. But it's not Lashon Kodesh. The Charedim just speak in Yiddish. That's all they're doing. They won't push to Lashon Kodesh. So it got, if it's got to come, so the secularists will have modern Hebrew, and uh, which is and therefore the Charedim. And here was a big debate. Should they not, should they go against speaking Hebrew or not? Because since the, the secular leaders wanted Hebrew to be the main thing, that means it's it's poison because it's their whole idea is to get rid of Yiddish because Yiddish was the language of the yeshivas. It was the language of the from Yiddin. And they're saying, what, you want to just learn modern Hebrew and forget about Yiddishkeit? So a lot of them said not and did not want to. In retrospect, there are some who said maybe that was a mistake. Maybe it was a mistake, but uh, but you have a language and you have to have your own language. It shouldn't be Modern Hebrew, but at least it's Hebrew. Okay, so now it'll be an easy transition from Modern Hebrew to to Lushan Hakodesh. Yeah. Question.
1: Okay, so you should, so Yiddish is not Modern Hebrew. No. No, was Yiddish not, not was. The,
0: Yiddish was in in Europe to what Ladino was in the Sephardic world. It's it's a trade language. Not just a trade language. No, it's using the Goyesh language in a holy way. Mm -hmm. For example, Lashon HaKodesh, Ladino, and and Yiddish don't have certain words in their vocabulary. Not in their vocabulary, like adventure. There's no word for adventure in those three languages. Why? Because adventure is not a Jewish concept. There's no word for fun. Here's in Hebrew. No, Kef. maybe in Hebrew. Ka, ka, what's it called? Kef. 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 That's not That's I not know a that's an
1: Arabic word. That but
0: that's what they call fun. But not in and yeah. HaKodesh. Because Jews are not supposed to have fun. Simcha, yes. Fun. No. Right. No swear words. What? In and yeah, HaKodesh. In, in, in no swear words. Yeah. No swear words, in not in Ladido, not in Yiddish. Okay. Modern Hebrew Modern has. Hebrew. <laughs> okay, so again, so, but the point is, when we do have Mashiach, we have to have Lashen Kodesh. There's just no two ways about it. He just can't get there overnight. So it's a slow process. You know, um, Reb, uh, his son, Revsi Yehuda, uh, when they were saying, why is everything so difficult? Why is everything so hard? So he says, I forget exactly the examples he gave. He said, you know, if you wanna make a bike, bicycle, takes a little work. Wanna make an airplane, a lot more work. Just takes more time. If you want Mashiach, boy, it's a lot more work. So they're gonna have a lot of complications. Things don't go so easy when you wanna make big things. So what's the next one? Uh, there was even a debate. The heads of the Technion wanted to teach science in German <laughs> because there were no scientific concepts in Hebrew yet. The students objected and at the end it was decided to study in Hebrew. Wow. Okay, wow. so you see that there, all, that is a Jewish language. Okay, then Safrus literature, which has an army began to recognize this world war. What does that mean? There are Jews who served in the various armies. Mm-hmm. For example, mule drivers in the English army. Trimpledor was one of the Jewish heroes in the Russian army. And in general, the IDF was composed of Jews who served as officers in the Gentile armies. And during Rav cook's time, the Jewish army began to be born from those officers, from the Hashomer and the separate organizations. Now, the pioneer Rebbe, Rabbi Yeshaya Shapira, uh, was... Um, I think I think this is the brother, of the pe- 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 Piazzetsner Rebbe, Piazzetsner Klannimos Kalman Shapiro. He had a brother in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, was supposed to be a Rebbe in Poland, but he gave up being a Rebbe in order to immigrate to the Land of Israel. And Israel became a pioneer, and among other things, he connected of Cook and published a book of his words called Eretz Chafetz. In this booklet, our chapter seven appears in the original. This was in that book but there's a slight change in it. He wrote there, she already knows that she has a country and she has a language, literature and all. He's not mentioned there that the congregation of Israel is aware that it has an army. From this we see that even for a God-fearing pioneering Jew who believes that he's in the year of redemption, it's difficult for us to have an army. In other words, he left out that word army because as a real Haredi, that was a little bit too much for him at that time, but it eventually came. And finally and she knows above all, we're talking about the country, the national, the Knesset She has a unique light that adorns her and adorns the entire world, okay? The Jewish people have their own destiny, but not everybody knows how to define it, okay? It's clear to everyone that the state of Israel has something to say in the world, but it's hard to define it. So let's see the last, uh, the last point over here. He says, he says, by the way, the world's desire to hear a special mitzvah from the Jewish state increased after the Six-Day War when we mm. conquered Judea, Samaria, and Golan, Yerushalayim. They expected us, but we disappointed and did not transmit any special message to the world. True. Right? The world said, so you will return what you have conquered. <laughs> That's the real t- solution to Israel's status in the world. Right? And we, could, we could have said something then. Could have Mama said this is our God-given land, this is this and that and all that stuff. But we did not do that. A lost opportunity. Yes, we and a- finally, calls a- a- kol- z- z- <laughs> but we put all this together she knows her strength because the Lord has given her courage. In the midst of this great movement of national revival, okay, the rabbi felt there was some kind of statement that the Israel nation would say to the world, a statement that paves its way and seeks its oppression. That is, there is a form of life that's a conduit of the appearance of the special statement of the Israeli nation. So now we see what Rav Kook has been adding for us over here, that besides the fact that the, the Jewish people develop, really what's happening is the whole world is developing at the same time. And that's what when we're saying that war brings Mashiach closer, we're looking at the global sense of why oh, Hashem created the world, it's about the Jewish people, the world feeds off of the Jewish people, And now the Jewish people through the wars are collecting really good things that we should get. They're collecting bad things, but the bad things will somehow fall off. And then the good things will last and we're primed for Mashiach. And as as we go further and further, we're seeing how this prophecy has come true. But yes, the world is waiting for us to give the real truth that has to be said. And that is something we're gonna to have to wait for. But there's definitely a lot to be grateful for, and to see how this is all coming into be. Question? Comments? So, Rabbi, because right now the, the, the most
1: uh, talked about and possibly the most dangerous technology, which is about, is now, is generative AI. Now, I'm not <laughs> talking about the nonsense that we are served with the CHAP-GPT that rewrites your essays. Okay. Now, seeing that this is coming, and seeing that there's a lot of bad things that are going to come, you have no idea how many people are going to be put out of work in the next five, six, seven. Well, there's going eight, to be a lot of good things too. Yes. Yeah, so that's the question we becomes: have no to what, what does that mean for Jews, Orthodox Jews? Because it's got to be, it's got to, can't be accidental. If it's so true with everything else. Then it must So be let's wait and see. Yeah, I, I'm not, I, I
0: know, I'm, just, I'm asking the question well, be very simple. Everybody will do the work. I, I Listen, in a <laughs> world where people are meant to just study Torah, why would you want to waste your time working?
1: <laughs> so the AI
0: will have all these uh, robots working for us and coming up with ways of making money. We're obsolete, but they could be so good they'll make money and that we shouldn't have to work. Don't you think that's what AI could take you to? Not with the present governments. Well, I'm just saying, but if you perfect that, listen, they're talking about, I don't know, I was, who was I, to? I was talking, I was taking a, a, one of my regular uh, annual tests, so this very intelligent guy who works there, and he was saying, you know, the science is coming to the point yeah. where people will live for hundreds of years. Oh, help us. We saw what happened. He said that because of what they're doing with the body, and it was like they're, they've worked on—they're working on stopping the aging process. Now this shouldn't be a surprise because the Rambam writes, when Mashiach comes, people will live hundreds of years. Do you? Do you? The do Rambam we, wrote that.
1: Do we want a George Soros? Do that, don't worry about
0: George Soros. Mashiach's going to take care of all these guys. Look past have Yeah, be like Ruth Cook.
1: One example, AI
0: you know. is gonna be the biggest bracha in the world. Yes, for sure. You know. You know. You, go, you I have no time to learn Torah. Yeah. Fine. So AI no will do all the work, exactly. and the it money will go into your robot, accounts. Robot yeah, what's, exactly. what's the problem? Yeah. That's gonna be good. <laughs> okay, seven thirty. Shkwech <laughs> everybody. In the eighties, you had a big problem in India with computerization. They, they
1: had for one year. They had uh, unions closing.